you all rise join me in reading of God's word uh, today uh, the gift he's uh, given us is found in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 through 14 let me get some glasses on so I can read this in the first year of Belazar king of Babylon Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth beneath its teeth and was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on his back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, a little one, which before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Like his clothing was white as snow, and his hair, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and a thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court and set in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and the glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. May the Lord bless his reading.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we approach his scripture for us today. Yahweh, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your scripture. We thank you for what at times might seem mysterious or unknown to us, Lord, but that should just be a sign to draw us in, to read and read and read and pray some more. I pray, Lord, that today, this day that we recognize the birth of the Messiah, Lord, that that the joy of this day would be taken forth from today into the rest of this new year, that every day we would reflect on uh, the sacrifice that was made so that we might be able to enjoy eternal life in the forever kingdom with you. I pray that you bless this message today, that it might be edifying to all of our hearts, that you might make it effective for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So up to this point, through the previous six sermons in Daniel, we've made it up to Daniel 2, 11. Um, and, and we've been blessed to make it through a, quite a bit of narrative. But we're at the point where we're going to need to start digging into some visions. And even more than visions, we have the interpretations of visions um, that we're really going to need to start to look at. And it can get a bit mystifying, perhaps a bit messy at times, a little uncomfortable for folks. And I'll be honest, the, the main reason I first looked at Daniel to preach from was because uh, another brother at a men's ministry said, you know, the book of Daniel is just mystifying to me. It's just, I have trouble with it. And I thought, huh, I need to study this more. And a love grew from there and then a desire to preach it um, when given the opportunity to preach came out of it. And in the previous six sermons, when talking about the visions and the things to come, I've talked to you and told you that we're going to get to Daniel 7 eventually and get to the coming of the Son of Man with the clouds of heaven. And that's the whole point of the book of Daniel. And it's true. And, and for us to really get into these visions, we got to jump ahead. we got to jump ahead to the whole point. We're essentially reading the last chapter of the book. Uh, if you want to read that before going into the material or we're going in and looking at the grading rubric, the material we're going to be pulling from for all of these visions. These visions are going to continue to tie us back over and over. And so we're going to do a high-level overview of these first 14 verses of Daniel 7 because it's going to be the, the spine or the that kind of, um, that spine or or the skeleton that we're going to attach everything else in Daniel to is going to be covered. So um, I'll warn you, we're going to go a bit long and we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to them as well because I need you to come along with me because this is, if you're not with me through this, we're going to have trouble in the rest of Daniel. Um, So bear with me and prepare to flip through your Bibles with me as we go. But let's dig into this. Let's dig into Daniel 7. The first eight verses, lots of beast talk. We hear talks of these beasts described in certain ways. Some of them, you might think you have an idea of what they mean. Some you might not. Um, And overall, it might seem rather strange. And we're not going to get into the specific details of what each beast means, because each beast does mean something. It represents a kingdom. We have uh, Babylon, Media Persia. Then we have Greece and Rome as our four beasts. But that's not the point of this today. The point of what we're going to be covering is the greater point being made here, which is beasts in general, beasts being the adversary, and the kingdoms that they represent being in a, this spiritual um, dominion of the beast being fought against God and God's kingdom. 
And we're going to look at that and look at the symbolism of the beasts as a whole and what's going on with these four beasts rather than breaking down each beast. And don't worry, we will get to a point when I'm preaching through, so I don't know how many years it's going to take us to get to Daniel 7, but when we get there in the uh, more uh, chronological order or more uh, linear order through our scripture, we will break down each one of these. Uh, But again, for us today, we're going to focus on the spiritual. So let me read the first eight verses of Daniel 7 again, get us grounded in in these beasts and and start moving us through um, what, what what is meant by these beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had a great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. All right. This is, uh, this is strange, admittedly, but I think what um, I'm hoping, if we are successful at the end of this, you will hear the word beast and your mind's going to go somewhere. You should think of something. You should see what is being communicated to Daniel, um, to his people, who would be familiar with this beast language. So let's jump back. We're going to go in Genesis, back to Genesis 1. Turn with me, please. We're going to go from Genesis 1, and then we'll stay in Genesis, move a couple pages later. So turn with me. We'll make it worth your while. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. We have God creating man in his image. Uh, D- Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let, him have, uh, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that it is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God's creation, when God created us, we were the, were the peak of his creation as humans, created to have dominion over beasts. 
and we did not retain that dominion. We failed. We lost that dominion. Look a page over in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. We're going to see what the craftiest of all the beasts did to deceive us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. If you have never read anything in your Bible and you read Genesis 1, you come away going, well, when I hear the word beast, I think of dominion. Humankind was given dominion. Men and women were supposed to have dominion. Dominion and beast, that's what should go together. And what ends up happening is now we have in Genesis 3, the first time we start to see beast and the serpent, the, the Satan, the accuser, the adversary, being put together and associated together. And we have the craftiest of the beasts um, tempting Eve. And Eve takes the fruit and her, along with Adam, brings sin into the world. And with that, dominion over the beast, in this case, the great beast, was, was lost. But staying in Genesis 3.15, we have a promise. In Genesis 3, we look down at 15, we have a promise. And if you look with me there, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You might have heard it said that this is the the whole of the gospel is here in Genesis 3.15. What we have here is, is a promise of hatred and warfare between the beast and the woman, the offspring of the woman. And so beast, offspring of the woman, are going to be at war. They're going to be at enmity. They're going to have hate for each other. But eventually, from the offspring of the woman, there will come one who will bruise the head of the serpent, of the beast. We will, this language now, coming to this point, you should be starting to think, okay, beast, serpent, we have this battle between them and the offspring of the woman. And what we end up seeing is these, these, offsp- or these beasts in Daniel 7 are representative of the beast, the Satan, the adversary. And so these beasts want dominion. We have four kingdoms. We have four earthly dominions going through Daniel 7 in the first eight verses. And as we progress, we continue to see what does the beast do? They oppress God's people. They continue to have enmity with the seed of the woman, seed of Eve, which is God's people. And they have, they have um, a, a battle and hatred, and dominion is given to the beasts over God's people. And then, what, But we need to remember the promises given to the seed of the woman and, and what ends up happening in um, uh, God's people. God has a specific line chosen from the seed of the woman. And, and if we end up going a little bit further than where Nick has us yet in Exodus— what ends up happening for the, the seed of the woman? They, they're enslaved by the serpent, enslaved by Pharaoh, by a beast, but then they get freed. What happens after the freedom? They end up in Exodus 32. They're out in the wilderness. Moses is up on Mount Horeb, getting, uh, speaking to God, getting the Ten Commandments, and what, what is happening down on land? Here you have the Israelites, the seed of the woman, creating a golden calf. 
They make with their hands a beast to be worshipped. The very thing they're supposed to have dominion over, they hear they now worship. And it progresses. But despite all this, God continues. The seed of the woman will um, continue. And in, um, uh, with Abraham, he tells him, you'll have much offspring. And the offspring uh, will be many nations and a great nation. And then turn with me um, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have a Davidic promise. We have a promise given to David through Samuel, or uh, excuse me, uh, through Nathan uh, the prophet. Um, in 2 Samuel 7, uh, let's see, 12 through 16. And in this passage, you'll see, like, hear the language. You're going to hear for the first time talk of a kingdom. And all these terms again, beast, dominion, kingdom, they're going to keep coming up. But David, who is an offspring, the seed of the woman, hear what is being said to him in First uh, Samuel 7, 12 through 16. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. And, David, and Nathan said to David, Yahweh has put away your sin. You shall not die. Um, nevertheless, because by, uh, I am in the wrong chapter. I'm like, hmm. All right. Second Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Excuse me. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and you shall come from your body who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever. So again, we see from the line of David, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15 coming forward. And we see that it's going to be in a forever kingdom established. This forever kingdom we've talked about in, in um, our preaching so far and through the first two chapters of Daniel, it'll be even clearer for us today. But right now, so far, if, if we're just thinking about the beast in the first eight verses and what to do with that without getting into the nitty-gritty of each, why three ribs in the mouth of the beast and why this beast or that, when we hear beast, we should be thinking the adversary and earthly dominion. We've seen this from Genesis 1, uh, what should have been dominion for man all the way through. And so when you hear beast, think Satan, earthly kingdom. And when you hear seed of the woman or man, think of what should be, should be dominion and a forever kingdom. So for now, that's what we need to understand with the beasts. And the beast actually becomes clearer as we take on the rest of the verses of Daniel 7. So flipping back to Daniel 7, I'm going to keep us progressing through uh, Daniel 7. And we're going to get into verses 9 through 12 here. You'll see on the back of your bulletin, we're going to get into judgment. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A steam of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking... And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, 
and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What we see in verses 9, 10, and 11 here is a judgment for the beasts. We see a judgment for the beast. We see God taking the Ancient of Days, setting up court, opening the book, opening the scroll, and, and, and giving judgment. And to understand what's going on here, this judgment and the judgment of the beast, the judgment of this horn, we need to better understand the beast itself. The beast is Satan. We've seen this already with the serpent. You're going you're gonna to hear, uh, you hear lots of beast language throughout scripture as we get, we'll get into some passages in Revelation today. You'll hear Satan referred to as the dragon, this beast imagery. But Satan, what he's doing in God's court, in this heavenly court at up, up through this time, he is an accuser. He is standing before God, accusing the people of the earth, God's people. He is accusing them, saying they deserve judgment. He is a prosecutor in the heavenly court. And we're going to see this. Uh, if you look with me, we're going to turn to Job 1 and 2. And if you remember with Job... Job is, is one of those, um, uh, one of these um, books that has a lot of imagery itself, but gives us a lot of insight into what the heavenly court looks like. And in Job 1, and we have Satan coming before Yahweh, coming before the court, and he accuses Job, saying, if you do this, Job will do that. Give quite an accusation. Look at Job 1, 9 through 11. Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. It's quite an accusation to lay. And Satan, this beast, is standing in the court accusing. And we see it again. He does the same thing in Job 2. Flip a page over in Job 2. God, after saying, look at, look at my faithful servant Job again, we see in, in Job 2, 4 through 5, then Satan answered Yahweh and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. We see him accusing Job of what he will do, telling God to, to, um, or to inflict discomfort and trials on Job's body. And don't worry, you'll see, he'll curse you. And we see again in Zechariah, so if you flip quite a bit further in your Old Testament to Zechariah chapter 3, we're going to see the great accuser again. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So there's this heavenly court, and Satan has a role in it. He has a spot there in this court as an accuser, laying accusations on God's people. This beast in Daniel 7, verse 8, this horn that is rising up, he is claiming that God's people are in need of judgment and a guilty verdict. He's saying, look, look at their behavior, look at their action. They are in need of a guilty judgment. And he has a point. 
He has a point. We've all fallen short. We've disobeyed God's law. We have brought sin into the world. We have brought sin on ourselves. And we are not deserving of a, of a um, not guilty verdict in the judgment of us. And so Satan has a point. And yet, in verses 9 and 10, we see the, the Ancient of Days calls court into session. And what ends up happening? In 9 and 10, we have this, this court called in. And at the end of verse 10, we have the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Here comes the judgment. And in verse 11, the judgment is rendered. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What just happened? The, the verdict was supposed to come down guilty on us, and instead the beast is judged. What has happened in the course of this time? He's an accuser. He's speaking great things. Well, to understand that, I want us to better understand what happened between court sat in judgment and the books were opened. There's so much rich theology in those two verses of what's going on there. So turn with me. When we think about these, these books, you're going to hear it referred to as scroll or book. Um, uh, the Hebrew word for, for book and scroll is the same. Um, and you're going to hear this, this language in Daniel, and then we're going to jump ahead to Revelation. But in talking about this, this book, let's look at Daniel 12, the very last chapter. After God's given all these visions to Daniel— and he's told him of the great triumph of, of what will be the Christ and the great triumph of God's people, as well as the judgment of the beast. What, what does he say about this scroll or this book? In uh, Daniel 12, verses 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been seen, uh, been since, there was a nation that will uh, th till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and to everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So this book is associated with the vindication of God's people and the judgment of the beast, and yet it is told to be sealed up. This symbolic sealing, talking about all these end-time things or these things that are to come, is being told to be sealed up. And yet, in Daniel 7, we have this momentous occasion where the scroll is opened. So what is going on here with this scroll? Well, Everything, everything happens in the opening of the scroll. Let's look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. I really encourage you to turn with me there. We're going to read a, a good bit here. We're going to read the first few verses and then turn on to read more of Revelation 5. But see the language, see the connection, the clear connection between what's going on with Daniel and the sealed up scroll and Revelation 5 and, and the vision that John is having. The first four verses of Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, think of ancient days, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or, uh, on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. John knows what this scroll is. It is the vindication of God's people, and it is the judgment of the beast, the great accuser. And he is weeping because there is no one worthy to open the scroll. And yet we know in Daniel 7, the scroll is opened. And so what causes it to be opened? How does it get opened? Well, let's continue reading in Revelation 5. We're going to read uh, verse 5 through the end of the chapter. Be blessed by what is said here. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders found, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bulls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering of myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I know I'm getting loud. I can't help it. I'm excited by this. Do you see the clear connection? We have myriads. We have the, the, the very court described in Daniel 7 described here. There are myriads of angels. We have the scroll that could not be opened, but it is opened. How was it opened? By the blood of the lamb. It's the blood of the lamb that opened the scroll. But again, I ask, what happened? We were supposed to be guilty when that scroll is opened. It should be opened, looked at, and the accuser who's saying, great is the sin of this people. You cursed God when things were done to you. And guess what we do every day? We find a way in our actions to curse God in our sinfulness. Why did we not receive judgment when the judgment scroll is opened? It is because of the blood of the lamb. It's because of the blood of the lamb. Christ's death and resurrection changed all of it. It changed everything. In, in um, Revelation 12, turn a few pages over. Revelation 12, 7 through 11. You're going to see what happens. The, the scroll is opened and judgment is rendered. But when it's opened, it's not open to find a guilty people. It's open to find an innocent people, a people who, are, who get a non-guilty verdict because of the blood of the lamb. And the great accuser is going to be proven to have baseless accusations and be the liar and the murderer of the lamb that he is. Look at Revelation 12, 7 through 11. 
Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved their, not their lives un, even unto death. It is because of the blood of the Lamb that the accuser in that moment with the death and resurrection of the Christ is now thrown out of the heavenly court, forced to roam this earth. Christ has conquered in this. So let's take a step back. We're about to get into the kingdom, the third point, but let's take a step back for a second and think on our, our passage here, Daniel 7. What's going on here? If we just look at the imagery so far, what we have is in the first eight verses, we have a beast, a mighty accuser saying great things for the first eight verses. They are ruling and oppressing God's people. These kingdoms that I told you we're going to get into, Babylon, uh, Media Persia, Greece, Rome, these are the persecutors. Rome, the, the crucifier of the Christ, these, they, the earth has their dominion, and the serpent behind it, the grace beast, has its dominion. But in the progression of this, in 9, 10, 11, 12, we see the judgment because of the scroll being opened. And when that scroll is opened, it's because of the blood of the Lamb. So, so far in these verses, they should hopefully be a little less mystifying. We haven't gotten into the details maybe yet of some of this, but this is just the progression of the gospel. And so, what, is it, what does this mean as we continue on? The blood lamb, uh, the adversary, the beast was thrown down from the heavenly court. He is found to be baseless in his accusations. What, what else is going on here in this passage in 13 and 14? Well, let me, let me read these and we will progress to see the kingdom that comes as a result of the casting out of the beast. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son, a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and it was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, beautiful. We're hearing again these words, dominion, dominion. So, the question here that I'm sure comes on many people's minds, is when is the fulfillment of verses of 13 and 14? This is, the, this is the like theological elephant in the room, perhaps. When is the fulfillment? When is this kingdom? When is the conquering of this um, happening? And the answer is in the, with the death and resurrection and ascension of the Christ. His kingdom has come. The kingdom is now. 13 and 14 have been fulfilled. They are yet to be fulfilled in a final kingdom, the culmination, the consummation of the kingdom, but they have been fulfilled now. And I'm going to bring you along with me on this. So turn with me to Acts 1. My dad just preached through this a few weeks ago. Acts 1, Christ, just after being crucified and, and uh, rising from the dead in Acts 1, we have this scene. We're going to look at uh, verses uh, 6 through 11. And in this scene, we see Christ rise. And I want you to hear the imagery 
and do your best to picture the perspective and jump. We're going to actually go from this back to Daniel and jump with it in terms of perspective. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you come at this time? Uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know time or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do, you, why do you stand looking into heaven? Then Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. Uh, this, this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he will come, as you, we saw, on a cloud. But what do we see here? Christ leaving up, ascending on a cloud. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, from the perspective of the heavenly courtroom, the ancient of days, from his perspective, and Daniel seeing this vision, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. We have the coronation of Christ being described in Daniel 7. It's almost this beautiful continuation of what's happening in Acts 1, where we see him go up, and then from the perspective of Daniel 7, we see him being received by the throne, by the Ancient of Days, for what he has accomplished. And then with it, it is said he is given a kingdom, and a dominion and a kingdom of all peoples and nations and languages that they should serve him, a dominion over an everlasting kingdom. This is a coronation ceremony of the Lamb being described in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. All right, I'm going to go to Ephesians 1. I'm going to, I want us to see the kingdom is now. The kingdom is now in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 21. For the, this reason, because I have heard of your faith of the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In this age, Christ is at the throne. He has been given, seated at the right hand. He has been given a kingdom. Uh, in Hebrews, chapter 1, The first three verses, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, on the throne now. And we see back in Daniel 7, 14, our passage today, we see what that means. In 7, 14, it says, And to him was given, so right after being seated at the throne, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So his kingdom is now. His kingdom is now. The saints of the past and the, and the saints present have inherited this kingdom with him as well. But this should be no surprise that his kingdom is now. This shouldn't be a surprise. We read it today. We read the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But here again, I won't have his turn, but here again, the words of, of uh, Christ himself during his ministry and words from the epistles. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 17, 20 through 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. His kingdom is now. This means we, have, we presently have dominion with him as well. That's what it means for us. Let's look down in Daniel 7, 27. We see this, this, re, um, this uh, interpretation given of, of these of this vision that he's had um, to Daniel is given to him by an angel. And um, in this uh, verse 27, we see, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. We rule with Christ. The seed of the serpent has been crushed by the seed of the woman. The kingdom has been transferred to Christ. Hear the words of Revelation 5, 9, and 10 again. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of earth, on earth to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by blood and made us a kingdom, 
priest to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God, of this present kingdom. Now, this kingdom has been inaugurated. Christ has been given his kingdom when he was seated at the throne. It is not yet consummated. I'm sure our bodies remind us of this every day, the pains of the world, lost loved ones, discomforts, all of those things. We are not yet to the final consummation, the final fulfillment of this kingdom as described in Revelation 22, where there will be no tear, there will be no sorrow. We will have God shining brightly in place of a sun, and we look forward to that day. But we should not look away and think we're waiting for the kingdom. The kingdom is now. Dominion has been taken from the beast and given to us. Think of it this way. Adam was given a kingdom. He was placed in the garden. But what was Adam to do? Adam was to work. He was to expand the garden. He was to to take what was untamed and tame it. He was to expand the garden and to multiply and bring forth children. If we are the kingdom of God, and here we are given dominion again, a dominion that cannot fail. We cannot fail in the way Adam failed because we have the blood of the lamb. We have the seven spirits, that is the Holy Spirit. We cannot fail. What are we to do? We're supposed to pick up where Adam failed. And so this passage, if you're thinking through what this has for us today, it's more than just theology for theology's sake. There is much for us to do knowing that we have dominion today over a kingdom. And what we're supposed to do Let's turn to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Here, in light of all of this, the seed of the the woman conquering the beast, here, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And I hope you hear the Great Commission in a light that is a little bit different, a little bit nuanced, a little more informed by our our, um, hearing of God's word today. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have forever language, always to the end of the age. We have Christ seated on the throne. What are we supposed to do in the forever, between the forever to the end of the age and Christ seated on the throne? We are to go to all nations. We are supposed to do the work that Adam did not do. We need to expand the garden, expand the present kingdom. Brothers and sisters, have you gone out? Have you gone out with the Holy Spirit as your shovel and the blood of the lamb ready to water the fertile seeds? Have you gone out and expanded the garden, the kingdom, this week? It's Christmas time. You have every excuse in the world to talk about the Christ who is born, who was worthy of opening the scroll. Have you done it? Have you gone into the world and talked about Christ? Expand the garden. Expand the kingdom. This is joyful news in uh, in Daniel 7. 13 and 14 in particular. And for those of you here today who are thinking, uh, I'm not so sure about this. I'm, I'm new here. Maybe I'm going to church for the first time in a while. Christmas is kind of when I come around. You should hear this. The kingdom is not yet to its full consummation. 
And in Revelation 19, we are told of what will happen at its full consummation. There will be a second death. There will be a final judgment. But the kingdom is not yet full. The garden has not yet been fully expanded. There is more. Come into the kingdom. Those of you who have not yet believed, pray to God now. Pray for the blood of the lamb that it might have washed your blood, washed your sins away with his blood so that your name is on that scroll. Pray for it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I exhort you today to go before Christ. And if you need more help, if you're not sure, talk to someone else. Because hopefully all of you have a fire lit under you to go proclaim the gospel. And there are people in this church, our children, our wives, our husbands, our parents, they all need the gospel. Whether they're saved or not, they need the gospel again and again. Give it to them. You have dominion, exercise dominion on this earth. Let's pray. God, we are, we are not worthy of the dominion you have given us. And yet, there was a lamb slain. He was worthy. He was worthy. And his blood has been given to us. The scroll was opened and my name, my name, PJ Smith should be sitting there as guilty. And yet I am sitting there as vindicated. The accuser has baseless accusations. And though he attempts to roam this earth, accusing all of us uh, or, or uh, roaming this earth, trying to cause trials and tribulations on us to this day, Lord, we know that we cannot help but persevere because we have the Holy Spirit. The blood of the lamb is worthy, Lord, and for that we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the congregation in front of us, and we thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel that you've given us. To you be all glory, Lord, as we know you, the ancient of days, have sitting at your side, pleading for us and interceding for us, the lamb who was slain, who is also seated in glory at your right hand on the throne. For that we thank you. To you be all glory. Amen.